Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Scott, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge, and I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome to The Bridge. Um, last week was Easter, and uh, we had a great day at both of our campuses. If you didn't know, uh, we have two campuses. This is our Sugarland campus, and we also have a campus that meets in the Regal Theater on uh, 99, the Grand Parkway. And between our campuses, we had uh, a little over 3,000 people in attendance last week, and uh, which was awesome. And uh, so many, so many people, and so many guests. Uh, maybe you were a guest uh, with us last week, and if that's the case, I'm so glad you came back this week. We didn't run you off the first week, um, so I'm glad you're back. And and if you are a guest, um, I want to tell you about a as a guest, one thing, and then I'll tell everybody about something else. But as a guest, um, and maybe you've been a guest over the last two or three weeks, and, and you're interested in knowing more about who we are as the bridge and, and what we believe, we have a great opportunity for you to do that. It's called First Step. And we offer that every uh, first Sunday of the month. So next week will be the first Sunday of the month. And it's from 10 to 1030. And you can find out, you can have questions answered, anything you want to know about who we are, what we believe, and you'll find out all that information. It's just a first step for you to get to know us a little bit better. And we would love for you to participate in that. All we need to do is you to RSVP, and you can do that with the handout you got when you came in. There's a communication card. Just fill that out and check on there that you'd like to be in first step. Uh, and we'll get you all signed up. And I hope you'll do that and take advantage of that. But it is the very first Sunday of each month. So if you can't do it next week, uh, maybe you can do it in one of the Sundays up, upcoming. Also, something that we've been trying to get going uh, and we're starting today, and I'm pretty excited about it, is we have between our services, so from 10 to 10.30 each Sunday, uh, we have a team of people that are ready and willing to pray with you if you have prayer needs or prayer concerns or someone you know uh, has a prayer need or concern. And they meet every Sunday. Uh, they Obviously, they just met from 10 to 1030 uh, and will pray with you. So you have to get here a little early for this service, but they're willing to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. And they meet, if you go down this hallway and take the very first hallway to the right, go all the way down to the end, the room on the left, the last room on the left, it's what we call our tiny town theater, um, but during that time, it's our prayer theater. Uh, it's where our prayer team will meet and pray with you. So if you have needs, we would love the privilege to be able to pray with you. So mark that down between the services, 10 to 10.30, if you'd like somebody to pray with you. Um, we're starting a new series today. I'm glad you're here for the kickoff of the new series, Answers Endgame. And we're, we're starting in a connection with the uh, new Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame, that just came out this weekend. Uh, any of you get a chance to see Avengers Endgame this weekend? Uh, I did. My wife and I went to see it, and uh, it was great. I thought it was a great movie, except everybody dying at the... Wait. wait no, I'm just kidding about that. That didn't really happen. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Not everybody died. Just the most important people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it was a... It was, a, it was a good movie. It really was. I encourage you to go see it. But it really did give us an opportunity to talk for the next three weeks about something that I think most of us don't really want to talk about, but we're all curious about. And that is what happens when you die? What happens when you face life's end game? Like what happens like one minute after you die? And, and I think... For most everyone, talking about death uh, is at least uncomfortable. And for a lot of us, it makes us just feel really 
uh, apprehensive and uneasy. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's just a mystery, right? I mean, it's the great unknown. What happens when a person dies? And anything that we're uncertain about causes us a level of anxiety. And, and so part of the reason we're doing a series on this for the next three weeks is really so that you at least know the truth of what the scripture talks about as it relates to death and what happens after you die. And I think there's great power in knowing truth. And, and it, it, again, it doesn't take away the fact that, that death comes, but at least knowing some truth about what happens when a person dies really is a little bit freeing. And that's what the scripture talks about, that uh, the truth will set us free. There's something powerful about that. You know, when I was a kid, another blockbuster movie came out and it was the movie Jaws. Anybody really remember seeing Jaws when it came out? I'm telling you, everybody that saw that movie, it struck fear in their heart. You know, you'll never go in the water again, right? And I was a kid and I'm seeing this movie and I'm thinking, I grew up on the coast and I'm thinking, they're in the water. I thought, I thought they were in a swimming pool. I thought they were everywhere, you know? And, uh, and man, it was just frightening kind of thing. And in fact, I heard that um, Steven Spielberg, who was the director uh, of the movie, when the movie came out and was such a big hit, he had a big party at his home just to kind of celebrate the movie, invited a lot of people over. He thought it would be a cool publicity stunt, you know, kind of neat thing to put a great white in a swimming pool so that people there at the party could kind of be mingling and also be up close to a, a great white, so to speak. Uh, but as the party went on, <laughs> Spielberg comes out and he says, I'll give anybody a million dollars who'll jump in this pool and swim the length of it. Any takers, anybody, well, everybody had seen the movie. You know, ain't nobody jumping in that water, right? I mean, they're like, oh, a million, two million, ten million, I ain't doing it, right? And then all of a sudden, this young guy from one end dives in and begins swimming as fast as he can. And people were shocked at first. You're like, what in the world? And then they were like, go, go. You know, they start screaming for him to swim faster, swim faster. And he gets to the other end and they yank him out just in time. And Spielberg walks over and says, you're either the bravest or the craziest person I've ever met. But True to my word, I'll give you a million dollars for what you just did. He said, as much as I appreciate that, what I really want to know is who pushed me in. <laughs> so, some of you are going to feel like you got pushed into a pool with great whites as we go through some of this stuff, all right? Because it's not going to be comfortable. In fact, it may challenge a lot of the things that you've thought or thought you knew or you've heard before, because there's, there's, there's just a never-ending stream of, you know, theories and, and speculation about death and what happens when you die, and it creates all this confusion and all this, you know, these questions come up as to, you know, and, and they're not founded a lot of times on, on what truth of what Scripture says, they're just founded on what people think, or maybe they've heard and then, and then you really start looking at some of the things that even Christians have said about what happens when you die. And you, and you look at it and you go, man, it didn't even, doesn't even seem right or it doesn't seem fair. I mean, like you've got somebody that prays a prayer and receives Jesus as their savior, but they live like hell and they go to heaven. And then you've got somebody who's a good moral person, treats their neighbors well, treat, treat people fairly. 
but they just couldn't get to a place where they received Jesus as their savior and they die and go to hell. And you sit back and go, how does that even make sense? How does that work? That doesn't even seem right. Doesn't even seem fair. And then even within Christian circles, I mean, some of the things to get talk about, like, you know, that, that, that heaven is just this place that everybody goes and experiences the same thing. So you've got a person who's like a missionary who spent all of their adult life in a foreign land, you know, sacrificing all the luxuries of life, committed to, to living for Christ. You've got a person that is a Christ follower, maybe nominal Christ follower at best. You know, they've, they've not foregone any of the luxuries of life. They take everything that life, they can squeeze out of life, but they've given their life to Jesus. You've got, when Jesus was being crucified, he was crucified between two criminals. And you've got one of the thieves that was, he was crucified next to, that he looked at and said, today, you will be with me in paradise. He'd been a criminal all his life. Never had one day that he lived for Jesus. And all of them all go to the same place and experience the same thing. That doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem fair. And then some of you, some of you, you know, you've, you've been hurt or treated very poorly by Christians. And the thought of spending eternity with them in heaven even makes you question whether or not you want to go to heaven, right? At the very least, maybe have a different dining hour or something. Because just being, being around them now is, is hard enough. But for eternity, you go, man, I don't know about that. And then, and then you know, hell's not any different. You've got, you know, axe murderers and people that have committed heinous crimes. And, and then you also have people that are just, you know, good people, but just are not Christ followers. And they just all go to hell and all experience the same thing. It doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem just or fair. And the reality is if, if heaven and hell were just two big places where people just go and the people that go there experience the same thing, then I think we would probably have a little bit of an argument. But what we're gonna begin to discover as we go through this is that the things that we've believed or, or maybe thought about those places might've been a little skewed. And maybe we don't have all the facts about what the scripture teaches about these places called heaven and hell. And so I wanna hopefully, as we go through this and look at some of the scripture, get a better understanding. Again, I think it might rock your world a bit. It might feel like you're in a swimming pool with some great whites uh, because it just doesn't, doesn't seem to compute as well. But hopefully as we get some of the truth about these, at the very least, it would, uh, maybe alleviate some of the fear and maybe more than that it would let you live life more free uh, and not so worried about what happens because here's the truth and this is kind of the bottom line of the series it's kind of the reason we're doing the series and here's the truth what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today what, what we believe about eternity really does determine how we live our lives today if you believe that, that, you know, there is no God, that, that you were just <clears throat> created at randomly, you know, or not created, you just came together, you know, through random circumstances, that life is just kind of random, has no meaning or purpose behind it, that there's no eternity, that when people die, they just cease to exist. If those are your beliefs, then, 
it affects the way you live your life today. I mean, you, you tend to live more for the day, more for what I can get out of this life and not for what I can give back to it. On the other hand, if you have a belief that there is a God and that he's created me on purpose to live for his glory, that, that, that while creation, while life in general has a, a mystery and a wonder about it, there's also a sense of order and meaning to it. That, that my life specifically was created in a way to want to, to live for a greater purpose than just for myself. That there is an eternity, that people live forever somewhere for eternity. Then it impacts the way I live my life today. I, I live differently knowing those things. So what you believe about eternity will impact the way you live your life today. That's the reason we're doing this series. So as we, as we launch into it, <clears throat> today I want to give you three truths about the end game. And these are three truths that we find in the scripture about what happens in, in life's end game. And these will just be kind of a foundation for us to build off of over the next two weeks after today. Okay, so three truths about the end game. Number one, our physical body dies. Our physical body, when we reach the end of life, our physical body dies. In fact, there's a, there's a great uh, mounds of studies, research been done. It's very conclusive. It's verifiable. Uh, it's very reliable. It is consistent that one out of every one person dies. Let me state it again. I don't want to go past it too fast. One out of every one person dies. Uh, that means death is batting a thousand, okay? Um, death is never swung and missed. Death is going to be consistent every single time for every one of us. That we're all moving toward death. You know, it's like, welcome to the bridge. Aren't you glad you came? Uh, <clears throat> but it's true, right? I mean, you're dying. I'm dying. We're all going to die someday. I don't know how. Don't know when. Don't know what's going to take place. But I do know that we're, we're all going to die, it's inevitable. In fact, the scripture talks about it in the, in the book of Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 89, verse 48. It says, no one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. That every one of us, we're going to die at some point in our life. And I think, though we don't like talking about it, I think we all know that. And we all, we all, you know, we, we might try to avoid it as much as we can, but we all know the reality that we will physically die. It also says in the scripture, in Hebrews chapter nine, New Testament, every human being is appointed to die once. In other words, every one of us in this room, we have an appointment. It's one that we can't change, we can't cancel, we can't be late for. We have an appointment with death at some point in the future. It's an appointment we will all make, that we all will physically die. Our physical bodies will die. But it also leads to the second truth about the end game, and that's our soul continues to live. So when you look at the scripture, the scripture teaches that not only will our physical bodies die, but that our soul will continue to live forever, for eternity. That, that, that whenever that date in the distant future comes and the end game reaches you 
And whatever happens with your body, whether they put you in a box and put in the ground or they, you know, cremate you or however you choose to have that done. And then everybody goes to Aunt Alma's or whoever they're going to and they're having potluck dinner and they're talking about you. That, that your physical body will be somewhere, but you will be as alive, if not more alive then as you are now. That your soul continues to live. Jesus said in the, in the gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, don't be afraid of people. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. He's making a distinction between body and soul. He says, the only one you should fear is God. The one who can send the body and the soul to be destroyed in hell. He's like, listen, don't be afraid of people. People can only do so much to you. They can kill the body, sure. But they can't kill the soul. Only God, the one you need to be in a reverent kind of fear of is God. Because he has the power over both. But the distinction that Jesus is making is there is a difference between the physical body and the soul. That your physical body can die, but your soul will live on. And the Apostle Paul, he's writing uh, later in, in, in Corinthians, he's, he's writing to a bunch of Christians there in the ancient city of Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this. So we're always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. So he's making a distinction between being in this body and not being at home with the Lord. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So once I depart from this earthly body, I'll be at home. Well, what's going to depart? How do you depart from your earthly body? He's saying there's a difference between your soul and your body. That your physical body will die, but your soul will live on. He's writing there to Christ followers. He's saying, as Christ followers, when we depart from this body, we will be present with Christ. So he's talking about the difference there in your soul and your body. Physical body dies. Your soul lives on. In Hebrews 9, verse 27, we read this a moment ago. I want to give you the rest of the verse. It sets up for the third category, the third truth. Every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. That sets us up really the third truth. Not only our physical bodies die, our soul lives on, but then we all face God's judgment. We all will be judged. Now see, the other two points we understand, we don't really mind talking about because we kind of get it. It's this point that we really don't like that much, right? Well, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, the whole thing of dying physical. I don't really like talking about death, but you know, I guess I'm die physical. Oh, soul lives. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess so. We're going to be judged. What? That, that's not, that's the uncomfortable part. But you know, when you look at who God is, his DNA, there are parts of God that we really, really like. God is love. God is grace, God is mercy, God is giving. We love all those things, but we also forget that God is holy, God is just, and there's a day coming when he will bring justice to all of the things that are going on in this world. Now see, there are times, 
and maybe you've been, maybe you've been here. There are times that we might sit back and we say, we look at all the stuff going on in the world. We look at all the evil, all the problems, all the pain, all the suffering. And we might have this thought of, you know, God, how long will you allow this to go on? We see evil things take place. God, when will you, you know, when will you judge? When will you bring justice to this world? Or maybe we've even used that as a, as an excuse or a reason not to believe in God. Like we've looked at all the pain and all the suffering and we think, you know what, if there really was a God, then he wouldn't allow all this pain and suffering. But because of all that, then there must not be a God. And maybe we've used that as a reason to not believe. And God says, no, there is a day coming and I am holy, I am just, and there will be a day when everything will be judged and justice will take place. You just have to hold on to that day, but it is coming because while I am grace and mercy and love, I'm also holy and just, and everything must be judged, including everyone. Now, when the scripture talks about judgment, there's two very specific judgments that the scripture talks about. One is called the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. And this, this judgment is actually found in the scary book, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. That's the book nobody wants to read. It's like, there's scary stuff going on in that place. And we don't really even understand all of it. Um, but the book of Revelation, it was actually written by uh, John, who was one of the disciples of Christ. He was one of the apostles. He wrote the gospel of John, first, second, and third John. And at the end of his life, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. And there God gave him a, a vision of what the end times would be like. And in that vision, he writes about this particular judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And here's what he says, verses 11 through 15, Revelation 20 says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, people that had, you know, huge success and people that really, people didn't know much about, great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books, plural, were opened, including the book of life, singular. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and, the, and, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is a second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So give you kind of an, uh, an understanding of what's happening. Here's this great white throne and God sitting on it. And he's judging people of the world. And he's looking at them and there's books that are brought out, plural, stacks of books. And then there's a singular book. The stacks of books held all the deeds that people had done. And the one book was the book of life. In the book of life was recorded whether or not a person had given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Whether while on this earth they reached a place where they believed that Jesus died for them. And that he, they invited him to be their savior. 
If that happens, then their name is recorded in the book of life. Now, many scholars will say that this judgment that you're reading about here is one that's reserved for people that never believed in Jesus as their Savior. For whatever reason, they just never believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and their personal Savior. And so they were judged. And what you begin to see as, as this judgment, and then you'll see in another judgment in just a moment, is that the truth that begins to happen here is what we believe determines our destination, determines where we spend eternity. And how we behave determines what we experience when we get there. Belief determines our destination. Behavior determines our experience. That, that, that if you reached a place where you believe that Jesus died for you and your Savior, that belief in Jesus as your Savior determines where you spend eternity. If your name's written in the book of life and you spend eternity with God forever in heaven and Jesus. But if your name's not recorded in the book of life because you never believed that Jesus is who he says he is and believe him to be your savior, your name's not recorded and that means you spend eternity apart from God in a literal place called hell. Your belief determines your destination, but then your behavior determines your experience. All of these books, these books of deeds, determines what a person's experience will be like in that place and it won't be the same for everybody. And we're gonna dive into this a little bit more next week as we talk about hell, as we talk about the reality of hell and what people experience there and it won't be the same for everyone. People will be judged according to what they have done, not just according to what they have believed. The book of Malachi, and that's in the Old Testament, it's the last book of the Old Testament. In chapter 3, he talks about books of remembrance. That, that, that God has these books of remembrance, that all the things recorded, both godly and ungodly, things that are recorded in these books of remembrance. It just means that somebody's watching, somebody's constantly taking notes. All those times you wonder, somebody's watching, taking notes, yeah, they are. Everything that we do is being recorded. See, that's more comforting news, isn't it? Like, first of all, you find out you're dying and now this news. There's another judgment that happens as well. And a moment ago, we read from uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul was talking about our bodies and we desire to depart from our bodies and be present with the Lord. He goes on that very same chapter, the next couple of verses, and he talks about the next judgment. Here's what he says. So we make it our goal to please him please Christ, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the other judgment. The judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we had the great white throne judgment and it's really reserved more for people that were unbelievers. And then for those of us who are Christ followers, we had the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's interesting that the, the word judgment seat there is a word in the New Testament. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. And that word is a word bima, the bima seat of Christ. And that bima is something that was used. Uh, it's a platform that was used primarily for people to hand down 
rewards a lot of times. Uh, it was used specifically in the Olympic Games. And that whenever a person competed and they won, they would approach the bema where the, the judges would then hand down their prize, what they had won. And so for the Christ follower, there will be a time, according to what Paul says and many others, where we will stand before Christ to give an account of our lives and what we have believed about Jesus determines whether or not our name is recorded in the book of life. And at that point, I mean, really, that's, what, that's the big decision, okay? I mean, if it's not recording the book of life, it's a, it's a whole different process, all right? You want to know that, yes, it's recorded. Yes, I received Jesus. Yes, he's my Savior. But then there's another part of that judgment. Were we either rewarded or not rewarded based on how faithfully we live for Christ? Paul uses phrases that are like accounting phrases. And he says, <clears throat> what is due him? Be handed what is due him. That's an accounting phrase. It means whatever you've earned, it'll be tallied up. What you've earned, both good and bad. Now we think good and bad like that's bad, that's good, that's bad. But he's talking more valuable or worthless. And we, you know, we, we can judge our own week, right? We look at the course of our week or the course of our day and we can look at times or things that we've done. We're like, man, that was worthless. I can, I'll never get that time back. Man, I wish I wouldn't have spent time doing that. That was worthless. Now, this was valuable. I need to do more of this. We, we even judge that today. But there will be a time as we stand before this judgment seat of Christ where we will be handed from that Bema seat the rewards that we've earned, what we've done in this life, how we've lived both good or bad, valuable or worthless. See, according to what Paul is saying, Paul is saying this, he says, listen, I'm a child of God. My sins have been forgiven. I've experienced both the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But the reason, part of the reason that I live for him every day and I try to please him every day is because I know that I'm gonna stand before him someday to give an account of my life and while you know we might struggle with some of those things because in our you know maybe maybe in your belief or what you grew up believing is that all you have to do is just you know receive Jesus just pray some prayer receive Jesus and everybody does that we're all just going to go to heaven and we're all just going to be in the same place we, we we might have believed that in the past but none of the New Testament writers talk about that Jesus didn't talk about it. Jesus said I the righteous judge will award on that day based on how you've lived your life. I will reward you or not based on the way you've lived and how faithful you've been in your life. And he sent, Paul is saying, you know, sometimes we think we're just going to be asked one question when we stand before Christ. Did you receive me into your life? Or God's going to say, did you receive my son? That's the only question we're going to be asked. Paul says, no, there's going to be a couple of questions. First question is going to be, are you mine? You know, did you receive Jesus? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Is that the case? And yes, I received Jesus. Yes, my name is recorded in the book. Awesome. One, that's good news. <laughs> you don't, a different line if it was no. So, so yeah, that's good news. That's wonderful. We're going to be glad, all right, because that qualifies us to go into heaven. But there's another follow-up question. How did you live for me? Were you faithful? 
Were you obedient? Were you willing to do the things I asked you to do? Were you more concerned with building your own kingdom than furthering my kingdom? How did you live your life as a Christ follower? And Paul was convinced there will be a day when we will be judged. We will either receive rewards or not based on how we live our life for Christ. See, when we stand before, you know, we stand before this Bema seat, you know, God is saying one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to stand there and you're going to just be inundated with rewards from my grace that I lavish upon you because the way you've lived your life for me here on this earth, or you're going to have the uncomfortable experience of standing there and having me look at you and say, I love you just like I love any one of my children here. But I got nothing for you. Because all of your life, you hoarded your time, your treasures, your talents for yourself. And you're welcome. Come on in. You're welcome into heaven, but I've got no rewards for you. And the scripture's pretty clear that there will be a little time there of regret, of displeasure, of thinking of all the things that we should have done and could have done, but we didn't. How we live our life, what we believe determines our destination. How we live our behavior determines the experience. See, that answers the question, that begins to answer the question about how is it just that everybody just goes to the same place and experiences the same thing? And God says they won't. There's a difference in what people experience once they get there. That, that as a Christ follower, your sin is taken care of. Your sin has been paid for through my son at the cross. Your sin does not impact whether or not you're welcome or not into heaven because that, that price has been paid. But in terms of rewards and responsibilities that you're given, how you live your life and sin and those kinds of things, they do impact that. Now see, some of you might say, well, but how can he do that? How can, how can God stand back and hold me accountable if, he's, if his love's unconditional? How can he hold me accountable? Well, I mean, I, the same way we do our kids, I think. I, mean, I, I, I want to think I love my children as unconditionally as I possibly can as a human father, but I still hold them accountable for their behavior. But, 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 but then there's something about, you know, that, that God, he, he, like, like he doesn't remember our sin anymore. Like, like you know, once we've forgiven, he, it's like from the east, it's from the west or something like that. And he doesn't remember our sin anymore. Well, just, let me give you a secret. God remembers sin. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Your sin is not a secret. Your sin is not hidden from him. If it was so, we would rejoice in the God of amnesia, not the God of incredible, amazing grace. He remembers. And even if he didn't remember, he's got a whole Bible that he's written. He'd go back and say all the sins of people in the Old Testament. Wouldn't be that hard. The point.
point of those verses and every other verse is that God remembers our sin, but he chooses not to let our sin be a barrier in our relationship. That he looks at us and says, I know what you've done, but my son paid the price for you and I don't hold that over you. I don't allow that to become a barrier. You know, my kids didn't always behave, but I don't sit there today, you know, and think, yeah, I know you want us to be friends, but 15 years ago when you did this, you know, and I don't think you ever said you're sorry for that. You know, I don't do those kinds of things. And God says, listen, as a Christ follower, your sin is forgiven. It's not a barrier in our relationship, but I know what you've done. And it does impact the rewards. So see, amazing grace, here's what amazing grace is. Amazing grace means God remembers and still forgives. That's why it's so amazing. It's got nothing to do with him forgetting about him. So what does that mean for our lives today? I mean, because again, what we, what we believe about eternity impacts our lives today. So what does that mean for our lives? Let me give you two implications and we'll wrap up. It means, first of all, that every day matters. Every day matters. Every time you say no to sin in favor of doing what God asks you to do, it matters. Every time you're willing to be obedient, even when it sounds like it's crazy, it matters. Every time you say no to certain things because you feel like God is wanting you to say yes to some things over here, it matters. When you think you're missing out on things that look all that fun because you want to try to live a certain kind of life, it matters. Every day matters. Your faithfulness matters. Your obedience matters. It matters. And there will be a day when you stand before God and you will be so glad that you did everything you could, as Paul said, to live in such a way that pleases Christ. Every day matters. Your faithfulness matters. But the, the second implication is this. Sacrifice and obedience are investments. See, so often we look at the things that we're giving up. You know, I'm sacrificing, I'm sacrificing my time, I'm sacrificing my money, I'm giving my money, I'm sacrificing this and you know, I'm, I'm, I want to go out with her, but I shouldn't, and so I'm not doing that. And I want to take that job over there, but I shouldn't because I need to be doing this. And I'm sacrificing, I'm giving up all of these things. Listen, if you're giving up things and you're going to be paid back in the future with interest, that's not a sacrifice, that's an investment. And what difference would it make in your life if you could begin seeing the things that you do today as an investment as opposed to a sacrifice? If you give up things and you never have a hope of getting anything back in return, well, that might be a sacrifice. But if God is looking at you and saying, I will reward your faithfulness and the reward that you get will be so much greater than anything that you could possibly give up today, that's an investment. It's an investment in eternity. 
And it's an investment that will pay off and you will be glad that you did. Every day that you live your life matters. Your faithfulness and commitment to Christ matters. And the reward someday will matter. It'll matter a lot. What you believe determines your destination, but your behavior determines what you experience when you get there. And it won't be the same for everyone. And the reason any of that's important is because what we believe about eternity impacts the way we live our life today. And my prayer, my hope is that all of us would live in such a way that someday we hear our Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. I have so many rewards stored up for you. Do we deserve those? No. Is there anything about our life that merits them? No. But it's a system that God has set up and it's a system that he eagerly awaits to reward you on that day. Let me pray for us, okay? If you're here today and you've never, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the question I wanna ask is, what keeps you from, from giving your life to Christ today? I know at times we, we have a lot of different reasons. We feel like these are, these are reasons that I, I can't do that. But I know there's coming a day when not much else will matter to you than whether or not you actually surrendered your heart and life to Jesus while you lived here on this earth. So why not do that today? Why not today open up your life to Jesus so that yes, your name would be recorded in the book of life. But even more than that, after 30 something years of being a Christ follower, I'm convinced it's just the best way to live. That the life he offers is so much better than anything that's offered apart from Christ. So what would keep you from saying yes to him today? And, and, and all you'd have to do is simply say yes. Right there where you're seated in your heart, just say yes. Jesus, I need you as my savior. Yes, I open up my heart and my life to you today. Yes, I believe you died for me. Yes, I want to live for you. That simple prayer of faith is all that's required for God's spirit to come and move into your life and for your name to be recorded in the book of life. Father, I pray for every one of us in the room. I pray for 
for anyone right now who, who just opened up their heart to you, who just received Jesus as their savior. God, I pray in this moment that you would just flood their heart and their life with a sense of peace, a peace of knowing that while we, we may not know everything about what happens after you die, the biggest question has been answered. And once we've said yes to you, where we spend eternity has been answered. So God, I pray that you would flood their heart and their soul with the peace of knowing that their eternity is set. And God, I pray for them and I pray for all of us who are Christ followers, that we would live our lives in such a way that we're conscious of the fact that every day matters, that our faithfulness matters, our, our obedience to you, it all matters. And, and I pray for me, I, I know there are times that I, I catch myself wondering, does it really even matter? And do I wanna continue to be consistent? And there are times that I'm not obedient and I have a tendency to think, who cares? But God, I know the truth of what you teach in your word and that you do care. And I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd help all of us as Christ followers to live faithfully for you. And God, that you would just bless our lives today and that we have something to look forward to in eternity because of the way you've asked us to live for you today. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for providing a way for us to spend eternity with you. Thank you for providing a way for us to have our sins forgiven. And thank you for providing a way for us to not only make it to heaven, but to enjoy the rewards that you plan to hand out in that day. You are way too good. We just say thank you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.